All right, for those of you who know the rhythms of our order of worship, like the back of your hand, well, then you know that we are all out of sorts this morning. Normally, right now, you all would be standing up, offering your confession, uh, the prayer of confession. Normally, I'd start out the welcome by dismissing our children for their time of worship. Normally, your clergy would be wearing those fancy little stoles with our robes. But friends, today is not a normal Sunday. Today is Christ the King Sunday. <laughs> now, did you just respond like that because of the way I built it up? Or do you actually know what Christ the King Sunday is? You are wait, Penny is waiting to hear about it. I was not expecting applause for that. For those of you who don't know what Christ the King Sunday is, don't worry about it. Just think of it as the New Year's Eve of the church calendar. I know, so fun, right? The day we celebrate what has been and what is to come, the good and the bad, beginnings and endings. Today we celebrate the fact that our hope isn't based on fairy tales and unicorns, but on a God who loved us so much that that God became a flesh and blood person. And today we worship Jesus Christ, our King, whose victory over sin and death is not just something we wait for in the life to come, but something that we live into right here and right now. Now, how do we do that? Well, we do that not just by playing church or rehearsing church, but by being church. You see, whether you are aware of it or not, every year we as the church participate in the drama of the church calendar. And like our regular calendar, this one has distinct, distinct seasons like Advent, Lent, Ordinary Time, and Pentecost. But in the same way that the winter is not the summer or spring isn't the fall, we honor these seasons by marking them. We don special colors, we retell certain stories, we sing particular songs. Now, I'll be honest, I haven't always been a fan of all this ecclesiological fanfare. From the complicated calendar to the weird costumes, it always felt kind of odd and stuffy to me. You see, I grew up in a church where we made up our own calendar based upon what the person up front happened to be reading at the time or what was going on in the world. Now, at face value, both of those options are fine and maybe even more interesting than the stuffy old calendar of the ancient church. But here's the problem. When we control the story long enough, we begin to think that we are the ones writing it. But the good news is that we are not. We may be actors and sometimes even directors in this grand narrative, but never forget that no matter what our calendars and our planners say, whether we feel like we are living in a comedy or a tragedy, this is God's story. This is a love story. So while we may not be enslaved peoples living in ancient Egypt or refugees in Bethlehem or fishermen in Galilee, we retell and reenact and relive these stories every single year to remind ourselves that we do not give meaning to God's story. God's story gives meaning to ours. And so today, we are going to do something we have never done before at First Pres Berkeley on this final Sunday in the church calendar as we get ready for another liturgical year. We are going to go from beginning to the end. 
remembering what has been and what is to come, we are going to sing our entire way through the church calendar. After all, what better way to experience the highs and lows of the sacred story than through song? As Exodus 15 says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord, The Lord is my strength and my might, and the Lord has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. In your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. You heard it, folks. Singing, praising, tambourining, worshiping, and dancing. It's right there in the Bible, which means we kind of have to do it, right? In three distinct movements today, we are going to sing a medley of your favorite worship jams in Advent, Lent, and Pentecost. So if if the music or the song starts changing before you expect, if we don't get to all the verses, just be thankful that we are going to make our way through the entire church calendar. And for all of our kids, I see some cool young theologians in our midst. For all of our kids who are here with us today, I have an extra special invitation. As always, this church and this sanctuary is just as much yours as it is the adults. So take up space. There is a lot of it. Grace, if you want to dance, you can dance. This whole area is your dance floor, girl. Just take it up. Tom will join you, I promise. Tom is right there. If anyone didn't know where Tom was sitting, he's going to make his way right down there. You can sing loud, kids, or you can sing quiet. If you want to just sit and listen and look at the organ do the crazy things that it does when James is playing, you can do that as well. But I need you all to pay attention because each time one of your pastors comes up, we are going to put on a different color stole. And when we do that, we need you to take your rings that you've gotten. If you haven't gotten a ring, just raise your hand and someone will bring you one. Oh, I mean kids. Sorry, kids. (laughs) Did you see that? That was amazing. Jay was like, I need one, Bob, Bob. Okay, so Jay and Bob, for for raising your hands first, you guys get one. Sorry, kids. We only have enough for the kids today. Um, You will get a ring. And when the the pastor puts on the stole, that's going to be my favorite memory of Advent this year. Um, You're going to take whatever color stole we put on, you're going to take that ribbon and you're going to tie it onto the ring. And by the end of this service, you are going to have a worship ring with all the seasons of the church calendar. I'll do the first one. Y'all ready? Kids, you ready? You got your worship ring? Okay. As we celebrate the season of, woo, ordinary time. Look at that green. We add a green ribbon to our ring symbolizing growth. Like this ribbon, know that you are tied to a community that journeys together through the seasons of our faith, tethering our stories with the story of God's love. Are you ready? 
In Advent, we take four weeks and we wait. We wait on the cusp of something that is wondrous to come. We wait for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. What do we do in the meantime? Well, we plan our Christmas activities. We think about the menu that we are going to put together for Christmas dinner. We think about the guests who are going to be there, who aren't going to be there. Hey, where are we going this year? Who will we see? What gifts to buy? What gifts to receive? We plan our activities. Advent can be about a lot of activities. But we also prepare our hearts, which may not be so easy. In preparation, we may struggle to find patience with promises that have not been fulfilled. Lives that had been full of promise have lost their fulfillment. Can I really wait for anything to come? Can I trust them? Is it okay to doubt? Can we trust God to be faithful? We struggle there. So in Advent, we wait, we prepare, we learn patience in God's timing, which is so hard for me and so hard for you. But there's also something else. There is suspense. We remember that in Advent, we are part of and have always been part of and always will be a part of a big, dramatic story, an epic that we have not written and we will not finish, but we will surely be a part. It involves all of us, all that we are. It is a story that wraps all our hopes and fears in the birth of Mary's child, Jesus. A child of prophecy who will be presented in the temple of God. And a child of the Holy Spirit as he is anointed in his baptism. And it all begins with the birth. For in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration as was given and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In Advent, we put on 
Nice catch. We put on this beautiful stall. The color of blue. My favorite color. <laughs> the color of blue. To remind us that we are waiting. And we are waiting in hope. We're on the cusp. We're on the edge. We're in suspense. We take the blue ribbon to remind us of Advent. Charlene, I cannot do it as wonderfully as you did it, <laughs> but I will try. Close. Blue. As we celebrate the season of Advent, we add that blue ribbon to symbolize our hope that our Savior will come and God's promises will be fulfilled. Let us stand and let us sing. You know what, Grace? You can just stay right on up here. Can I be Grace when I grow up? And you know what, if our other children want to come forward and join Grace, you're welcome to come forward. I want to talk a little bit to us up here. So come on up and bring your ring and your purple ribbon. Do you want to come and join me? Grace, you want to lead the way? Come here. Let's come have a seat. That was great tap dancing. I got to take some lessons from you. Come on forward. Come up, come up. You got your ribbons? You want to come here and have a seat with me? We're going to talk about our next season. Come on forward. Any other kids? And if parents want to come too, you're welcome to. Pastor Tom, I didn't see you up here. We've got to work on your shuffle. All right, you want to come over here and have a seat? Oh, good, you brought your rings. All right, let's have a seat. Can we go right in here? Welcome. So I want to tell you about the next season. There's space right over here. Come right up front. I want to tell you about the next season in the life of the church, which, to be honest with you, kind of sneaks up on me every year. It seems that we've just put away our Advent wreath and our Christmas decorations. We've just boxed up baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and all the other nativity characters when suddenly we're already getting ready for the next season in the life of the church, Easter. Whew, that feels like so long, but actually it comes up pretty quickly for us. And on Easter, we celebrate. We sing hallelujah. We have big loud trumpets and we have beautiful flowers and it is a party. How many people have been to Easter here? Yeah, it is a party, right? Because Jesus was dead and then came back to life. Whoa, that is amazing. But how do we get from sweet baby Jesus in the manger all the way over to grown-up Jesus dying and then coming back to life again? That's a lot to happen in just a few weeks. It's a long journey from Christmas all the way to Easter for Jesus and for us. And so the church decided that we needed some time to make the journey with Jesus. 
in the Bible, before Jesus starts his ministry, he goes into the wilderness and spends 40 days there. He prays and he prepares for what is in store for him. Like Jesus, the church also spends 40 days praying and preparing for what lies ahead for us on Easter, Jesus' death and resurrection. We call those 40 days of preparation Lent. But why do we need 40 days to prepare for something that happens every year? We know the story. We know what Jesus is going to do if we've been here at least for one Easter. So why do we spend that time preparing? We know that on Palm Sunday, Jesus is going to come into the city riding a donkey and people are going to wave branches. We know that on Maundy Thursday, Jesus is going to gather his friends and have a last supper and show them how to love and serve one another. We know that on Good Friday, Jesus is going to die on a cross. And then we know, of course, that on Easter, Jesus is going to come back to life again and rise from the dead. So why do we take time each year to prepare for something that we know is going to happen? Because I think while we know Jesus' story, while we know what he is going to do, we don't always take time to think about our stories, to think about what we do. Jesus is king. We celebrate that on Palm Sunday, but we often worship other things and we don't follow Jesus' instructions. Jesus shows us that to follow him means to put others ahead of ourselves. But I don't know about you, but I often want to go first, and I want the best things for me. Jesus tells us that there is nothing, nothing we can do to earn or lose God's love. But I often think that if I do the right things, God will love me more. And if I do the wrong things, God will stop loving me altogether. During Lent, those 40 days getting ready for Easter, we take time to reflect on our stories about what we do so that we can better appreciate Jesus' story about what Jesus will do and has done because it's changed everything including you, and you, and you, and all of us. Who is in a position to point the finger? Only Christ, and Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us, and Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ who has Christ in their hearts is a new creation. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. We actually take time to remember every week in worship, in our confession. We take time to reflect, to tell the whole story about ourselves and about Jesus so that we can be changed, so that we can be a new creation we actually practice a little bit of Lent every Sunday. So, we're gonna do that together today. This summer, you all wrote a beautiful prayer of confession that you led us in that month. Do you think you could do that again today for us? Can we lead our prayer of confession? 
Grace is enthusiastic. Okay, so let us all stand and see, say our prayer of confession together. Children, can you help? Do you want to turn around? And if you can read, read it from right over here. You ready? Here I am, God. I have something to tell you. I did some things that I know you don't want me to do. I also didn't do some things that I know you want me to do. When I do things that aren't good for me, it pushes me away from you. I want to be close to you all the time. I am sorry with all my heart for what I did. Please forgive me. I know that you will always forgive me when I say I'm sorry and that you will love me forever. Thank you so much for your forgiveness and love. Please help me to do what you want me to do. I really want to follow you. Amen. You may be seated. As we celebrate the season of Lent, we add a purple stole, symbolizing repentance or saying we're sorry, telling the whole truth about ourselves. You can add your purple ribbon. Like this ribbon, know that you are also tied to a community that journeys together through all of the seasons of our faith. You are tethered to the story of God's people and God's love for us. You are welcome to go back to your families and you can use this or you can stay up front and sing and you can use this as a ribbon. Thank you, children. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were gathered. Sitting, divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And then... Awe came upon everyone, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who trusted were together and had all things in common. They would sell their property and their possessions and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, persevering with each other in, in one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were eating meals together with glad and genuine hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. From Acts 2, 1 to 4, and then 43 to 47. There was only one Jesus. To the disciples, he was everything. And so his terrible, humiliating death should have been the end. But it wasn't. 
For 40 days, the disciples had these mysterious experiences they didn't quite know what to do with. He was dead and gone. They knew that to be true, only he wasn't. Still, he was with them. Still, he, they ate the bread he broke. Still, they heard his words. They touched his wounds. They felt his breath upon them, his peace, his presence with them. But it wasn't enough. They were more confused than they were inspired by these experiences. And still, the idea of following Jesus was seeming like a pretty bad one at this point. So they kept huddling in fear. And the vision, the mission, the kingdom for which Jesus lived and died seemed impossible. But in comes the Holy Spirit, divine wind and fire, bringer of peace, disturber of the peace. At the beginning of the book of Acts, the disciples are preoccupied with finding a replacement for Judas. But in time, as the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit moves beyond Hebrew and Aramaic-speaking Jews. All the Jews hear their good news in their own tongue. And later, deacons are appointed to administer and distribute food to the widows who have been neglected. And for the first time, Greek-speaking Jews become part of the ministry of the church. Then Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch, and the gospel is extended to an African convert to Judaism. Then Saul, Jewish persecutor of Jewish Christians, is converted to one of Christ's most fervent servants. And Peter shares the gospel with the Gentile Cornelius and his household, and the gospel extends even to those who do not convert to Judaism or uphold its purity laws around food and circumcision. And then we meet Lydia, the first European converted to the way of Jesus Christ and the first woman to whom the gospel is entrusted by some accounts. Each time the disciples think they have gone far enough, included enough, listened enough to the voices closest to the pain, risked enough, the Spirit comes and pushes them further and further to open their hearts more and more to draw the circle wide. Now that peace, that gentle peace-giving breath of Jesus precedes the violent wind of Pentecost that drives the people out into the public, but it cannot be separated from it. I once heard a pastor say, uh, make reference to a child's definition of the wind. It's like the air, but pushier. (laughs) So it is with the Holy Spirit. Our calling is not to bring others back into a locked room, but to join with the windswept power of the Spirit wherever we see it working, to find it, to free it, to love it, to serve it. It isn't to be right or unique. It isn't to please or to fit in or to impress. It is merely to allow God to make a spectacle of us, to drag us out into the light of day, to shine through us and through the gifts with which she has blessed us through our steadfast commitment to the mission of Jesus, even when everything around us seems grim. To let others see what God has done and is doing for us and in us and through us with so much zeal and zest that others cannot ignore us. Maybe even through our solidarity have some wild brush with the God that loves them more fiercely than we can comprehend. And it is that movement, that pushy movement of the Spirit that leads us to call Christ King. Empire was doing then what empire does now, different nations, different leaders, but the story is the same. 
Empire kills innocence and says it's all part of some greater good. It buries truth. It incarcerates, drives into exile, deports, silences, excludes on the basis of religion, race, disability, sexuality, and gender. It extracts enormous wealth for the few at the expense of the very many. Offers the illusion of peace and security at enormous human cost. So when our forebears called Jesus Lord, Son of God, Prince of Peace, King, they were saying, not Caesar. Those were all titles the, te the emperor had claimed for himself, but they said, no, that is not the authority I'll bow down to, not empire, not to the guy on the throne, but to this brown-skinned, poor, probably illiterate rabbi this compassionate, courageous one, this truth-teller, this lover of justice, this vulnerable one, the one who lived for all of us, died as one of us, and lives on with us. As we celebrate the season of Pentecost, we will add a red ribbon to our ring symbolizing the transformative, mobilizing flame of God's spirit. Like this ribbon, know, friends, that you are tied to a community that journeys together through all the seasons of our faith, tethering our stories with the story of God's love.